Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing recently published articles. First, Annals of Surgery. Transforming the Future of Surgeon Scientists. Objective. To create a blueprint for surgical department leaders, academic institutions, and funding agencies to optimally support surgeon scientists. Background. Scientific contributions by surgeons have been transformative across many medical disciplines. Surgeon scientists provide a distinct approach and mindset toward key scientific questions. However, lack of institutional support, pressure for increased clinical productivity, and growing administrative burden are major challenges for the surgeon scientist, as is the time-consuming nature of surgical training and practice. Results Task Force Recommendations 1. Surgeons, Growth Mindset, Identifying Research Focus, Long-Term Planning, Patients-Tenacity, Team Science, Collaborations with Disparate Experts, Skill Set, Align Skills and Research, Fill Critical Skill Gaps, Develop Team Leadership Skills, Department of Surgery, DOS, 2. Mentorship, Chair, Mentor-Mentee Matching Slash Regular Meeting Slash Accountability, Review of Junior Faculty Progress, Mentorship Training Requirement, Recognition of Mentorship, e.g., Relative Value Unit Equivalent, Awards, Mentor, Dedicated Time, Relevant Scientific Expertise, Extramural Funding, Experience and or Trained as Mentor, Trusted Advisor, Mentee, Enthusiastic Slash Eager, Proactive, Open to Feedback, Clear About Goals. 3. Financial Sustainability, Diversification of Research Portfolio, Identification of Matching Funding Sources, Departmental Resource Awards, e.g., T-P Grants, Leveraging of Institutional Resources, Negotiation of Formalized-Formulaic Funds Flow Investment from Academic Medical Center Toward Science, Philanthropy. 4. Structural-Strategic Support, Structural, Grants Administrative Support, Biostat-Bioinformatics Support, Clinical Trial and Research Support, Regulatory Support, Shared Departmental Laboratory Space-Equipment, Strategic, Hiring Diverse Surgeon Scientists-Scientists Faculty Across DOS, Strategic Faculty Retention-Recruitment, Philanthropy, Career Development Support, Progress Tracking, Grant Writing Support, DOS-Wide Research Meetings, Regular DOS Strategic Research Planning. 5. Community and Culture, Community, Right Mix of Faculty, Connection Surgeon with Broad Scientific Community, Culture, Building Research Infrastructure, Financial Support for Research, Projecting Importance of Research, Awards, Grand Rounds, Shoutouts. Conclusions Authentic recommitment from surgeon leaders with intentional and ambitious actions from institutions, corporations, funders, and society is essential in order to reap the essential benefits of surgeon scientists toward advancements of science. Can non-alcoholic steatohepatitis be surgically cured? Liver histologic comparison after metabolic surgery versus usual care. Objective 
To compare histologic outcomes in patients with fibrotic non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, NASH, and obesity after metabolic surgery versus non-surgical care. Background. There are no published data comparing the effects of metabolic surgery versus non-surgical care on histologic progression of NASH. Methods. Repeat liver biopsies were performed in patients with body mass index greater than 30 kg M2 at a U.S. health system whose baseline liver biopsy between 2004 and 2016 confirmed a histologic diagnosis of NASH including the presence of liver fibrosis, but without cirrhosis. Baseline characteristics of liver histology for patients who underwent simultaneous liver biopsy at the time of metabolic surgery were balanced with a non-surgical control group using overlap weighting methods. The primary composite endpoint required both resolution of NASH and improvement of at least one fibrosis stage in the repeat liver biopsy. Results A total of 133 patients, 42 metabolic surgery and 91 non-surgical controls, had a repeat liver biopsy with a median interval of two years. Overlap weighting provided balance for baseline histologic disease activity, fibrosis stage, and time interval between liver biopsies. In overlap-weighted patients, 50.1% in the surgical and 12.1% in the non-surgical group met the primary endpoint, odds ratio equals 7.3, 95% C, 2.8 to 19.2, P less than 0.001. NASH resolution and fibrosis improvement occurred in 68.5% and 64.1% of surgical patients, respectively. Surgical and non-surgical patients who met the primary endpoint lost more weight than their counterparts who did not meet the primary endpoint, mean weight loss difference in the surgical group, 12.2%, 95% C, 7.3% to 17.2%, and in the non-surgical group, 11.6%, 95% C, 6.2% to 16.9%. Conclusions among patients with fibrotic non-serotic NASH, metabolic surgery resulted in simultaneous NASH resolution and fibrosis improvement in half of patients. Neoadjuvant chemotherapy versus upfront surgery for resectable pancreatic adenocarcinoma, an updated nationwide study. Objective the objective of this study was to assess the association of survival with neoadjuvant chemotherapy, NAC, in resectable pancreatic adenocarcinoma, PDAC. Background The early control of potential micrometastases and patient selection using NAC has been advocated for patients with PAC. However, the role of NAC for resectable PAC remains unclear. Methods Patients with clinical T1 and T2 PAC were identified in the National Cancer Database from 2010 to 2017. Kaplan-Meier estimates and Cox regression models were used to compare survival. To address immortal time bias, landmark analysis was performed. Interactions between preoperative factors and NAC were investigated in subgroup analyzes. A propensity score analysis was performed to compare survival between multi-agent NAC and front surgery. Results in total, 4,041 patients were treated with upfront surgery, 1,175 patients were treated with NAC, 79.4% multi-agent NAC, 20.6% single-agent NAC. Using a landmark time of six months after diagnosis, patients treated with multi-agent NAC had longer median overall survival compared with upfront surgery and single-agent NAC. 35.8 versus 27.1 versus 27.4 mo. 
Multi-agent NAC was associated with lower mortality rates compared with upfront surgery, adjusted hazard ratio, 0.77, 95% C, 0.70 to 0.85, whereas single-agent NAC was not. The association of survival with multi-agent NAC were consistent in analyzes using the matched data sets. Interaction analysis revealed that the association between multi-agent NAC and a lower mortality rate did not significantly differ across age, facility type, tumor location, CA19-9 levels, and clinical TN stages. Conclusions The findings suggest that multi-agent NAC followed by resection is associated with improved survival compared with upfront surgery. Recurrence after surgery for primary hyperparathyroidism in 517 patients with multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1, an association francophone de chirurgie endocrinienne and group de 2 day tumors endocrine study. Objective To assess recurrence according to the type of surgery for primary hyperparathyroidism, PHPT, in multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1, MEN1, patients and to identify the risk factors for recurrence after the initial surgery. Background. In MEN1 patients, PHPT is multiglandular, and the optimal extent of initial parathyroid resection influences the risk of recurrence. Methods. MEN1 patients who underwent initial surgery for PHPT between 1990 and 2019 were included. Persistence and recurrence rates after less than subtotal parathyroidectomy, LTSP, and subtotal parathyroidectomy, STP, were analyzed. Patients with total parathyroidectomy with reimplantation were excluded. Results 517 patients underwent their first surgery for PHPT, 178 had LTSP, 34.4%, and 339 STP, 65.6%. The recurrence rate was significantly higher after LTSP, 68.5%, than STP, 45%, P less than 0.001. The median time to recurrence after PHPT surgery was significantly shorter after LTSP than after STP, 4.25, 1.2 to 7.1, versus 7.2, 3.9 to 10.1, years, P less than 0.001. A mutation in exon 10 was an independent risk factor of recurrence after STP, odds ratio equals 2.19, 95% C, 1.31, 3.69, P equals 0.003. The 5 and 10 year recurrent PHPT probabilities were significantly higher in patients after LTSP with a mutation in exon 10, 37% and 79% versus 30% and 61%. P equals 0.016. Conclusions Persistence, recurrence of PHPT, and reoperation rate are significantly lower after STP than LTSP men when patients. Genotype seems to be associated with the recurrence of PHPT. A mutation in exon 10 is an independent risk factor for recurrence after STP, and LTSP may not be recommended when exon 10 is mutated. Next article is from Journal of American Medical Association Surgery. Intraoperative Wound Irrigation for the Prevention of Surgical Site Infection After Laparotomy a randomized clinical trial by Kernet. Important surgical site infections frequently occur after open abdominal surgery. 
Intraoperative wound irrigation as a preventive measure is a common practice worldwide, although evidence supporting this practice is lacking. Objective to evaluate the preventive effect of intraoperative wound irrigation with polyhexanide solution. Design, setting, and participants The intraoperative wound irrigation to prevent surgical site infection after laparotomy, IOEZI, trial was a multi-center, three-armed, randomized clinical trial. Patients and outcome assessors were blinded to the intervention. The clinical trial was conducted in 12 university and general hospitals in Germany from September 2017 to December 2021 with 30-day follow-up. Adult patients undergoing laparotomy were eligible for inclusion. The main exclusion criteria were clean laparoscopic procedures and the inability to provide consent. Of 11,700 screened, 689 were included and 557 completed the trial, 689 were included in the intention to treat and safety analysis. Interventions randomization was performed online, 3 to 3 colon 1 allocation, to polyhexanide 0.04%, saline, or no irrigation, control, of the operative wound before closure. Main outcome and measures the primary endpoint was surgical site infection within 30 postoperative days according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention definition. Results among the 689 patients included, 402 were male and 287 were female. The median range, age was 65.9, 18.5 to 94.9, years. Participants were randomized to either wound irrigation with polyhexanide, N equals 292 saline, N equals 295, or no irrigation, N equals 102. The procedures were classified as clean contaminated in 92 cases, 8%. The surgical site infection incidence was 11.8% overall, 81 of 689, 10.6% in the polyhexanide arm, 31 of 292, 12.5% in the saline arm, 37 of 295, and 12.8% in the no irrigation arm, 13 of 102. Irrigation with polyhexanide was not statistically superior to no irrigation or saline irrigation, hazard ratio, HR, 1.23, 95% C, 0.64 to 2.36 versus HR, 1.19, 95% C, 0.74 to 1.94. P equals 0.47. The incidence of serious adverse events did not differ among the three groups. Conclusions and relevance in this study, intraoperative wound irrigation with polyhexanide solution did not reduce surgical site infection incidence in clean contaminated open abdominal surgical procedures compared to saline or no irrigation. More clinical trials are warranted to evaluate the potential benefit in contaminated and septic procedures, including the emergency setting. Total neoadjuvant therapy with PD-1 blockade for high-risk proficient mismatch repair rectal cancer. Importance total neoadjuvant therapy, TNT, is the standard treatment for locally advanced rectal cancer, especially for patients with high-risk factors. However, the efficacy of TNT combined with immunotherapy for patients with proficient mismatch repair, PMMR, rectal cancer is unknown. Objectives to evaluate the safety and efficacy of TNT with induction chemoimmunotherapy followed by long-course chemoradiation in patients with high-risk, PMMR rectal cancer and to identify potential molecular biomarkers associated with treatment efficacy. Design, setting, and participants This cohort study was a single-arm phase 2 trial conducted at Gastrointestinal Cancer Center, P. 
Peking University Cancer Hospital and Institute, from June 2020 to October 2021. Biopsies and plasma were collected before treatment for whole exome sequencing and cell-free DNA sequencing, respectively. Data were analyzed from May 2022 to September 2022. Interventions participants received three cycles of induction oxaliplatin and capacitabine combined with camerlitzumab and radiotherapy, 50.6 grays in 22 fractions, with concurrent capacitabine. Patients without disease progression received two cycles of consolidation oxaliplatin slash capacitabine. Main outcomes and measures the primary endpoint was pathologic complete response rate. Results of 25 patients enrolled, 19 men, 76%, 6 women, 24%, median, IQR, age, 58, 48 to 64, years, 22 patients, 88%, completed the TNT schedule. The pathologic complete response rate was 33.3%, 721. 12 patients, 48%, achieved clinical complete response and 4 patients, 16%, chose to watch and wait. Our zero resection was achieved in 21 of 21 patients, and the major pathologic response rate was 38.1%, The most common adverse event was nausea, 80%, 2025, grade 3 toxic effects occurred in 9 of 25 patients, 36%. Patients with tumor shrinkage of 50% or greater after induction oxaliplatin slash capacitabine and camelitzumab or clinical complete response had higher percentages of LRP1B mutation. Mutation of LRP1B was associated with high tumor mutation burden and tumor neoantigen burden. Patients with high tumor mutation burden all benefited from therapy. Conclusions and relevance This study found that TNT with induction chemoimmunotherapy followed by long-course chemoradiation was safe and effective for patients with high-risk rectal cancer with PMMR status. Longer follow-up and larger clinical studies are needed to validate this innovative regimen. There is also an urgent need to further validate the predictive value of LRP1B and discover other novel biomarkers with potential predictive value for rectal cancer. Mapping the discharge process after surgery. Importance care transition models are structured approaches used to ensure the smooth transfer of patients between healthcare settings or levels of care, but none currently are tailored to the surgical patient. Tailoring care transition models to the unique needs of surgical patients may lead to significant improvements in surgical outcomes and reduce care fragmentation. The first step to developing surgical care transition models is to understand the surgical discharge process. Objective to map the surgical discharge process in a sample of U.S. hospitals and identify key components and potential challenges specific to a patient's discharge after surgery. Design, setting, and participants This qualitative study followed a cognitive task analysis framework conducted between January 1, 2022 and April 1, 2023, in Veterans Health Administration, VHA, hospitals. Observations N equals 16 of discharge from inpatient care after a surgical procedure were conducted in two separate VHA surgical units. Interviews N equals 13 were conducted among VHA healthcare professionals nationwide. Exposure postoperative hospital discharge. Main outcomes and measures data were coded according to the principles of thematic analysis, and a swim lane process map was developed to represent the study findings. Results at the hospitals in this study. The discharge process observed for a surgical patient involved multidisciplinary coordination across the surgery team, 
nursing team, case managers, dietitians, social services, occupational and physical therapy, and pharmacy. Important components for a surgical discharge that were not incorporated in the current care transition models included wound care education and supplies, pain control, approvals for non-home post-discharge locations, and follow-up plans for wounds, ostomies, tubes, and drains at discharge. Potential challenges to the surgical discharge process included social situations, e.g., home environment and caregiver availability, team communication issues, and post-discharge care coordination. Conclusions and relevance These findings suggest that current and ongoing studies of discharge care transitions for a patient after surgery should consider pain control, wounds, ostomies, tubes, and drains, and the impact of challenging social situations and interdisciplinary team coordination on discharge success. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Lymphatic venous anastomosis and complex decongestive therapy for lymphedema, randomized clinical trial. Background. Lymphatic venous anastomosis is associated with a low incidence of lower extremity lymphedema-associated cellulitis, however, the exact relationship is unknown. This multicenter RCT evaluated the effect of lymphatic venous anastomosis on prevention of cellulitis. Methods. Patients with secondary lower extremity lymphedema who underwent at least three months of non-operative decongestive therapy were assigned randomly to lymphatic venous anastomosis or conservative therapy. The primary and secondary outcomes were cellulitis frequency and assessments of circumference, hardness, and pain respectively. Results Overall, 336 patients were divided into two groups, 225 in the full analysis set, primary outcome 225, secondary outcomes 170, and 156 in the per-protocol set, primary outcome 156, secondary outcomes 110. In both analyzes, lymphatic venous anastomosis with non-operative decongestive therapy was more effective in preventing cellulitis than non-operative decongestive therapy alone. The difference between groups in reducing cellulitis frequency over 6 months was minus 0.35, 95% CI minus 0.62 to minus 0.09, P equals 0.010 in the full analysis set, FAS, and minus 0.60 minus 0.94 to minus 0.27, P equals 0.001, in the per-protocol set, PPS, limb circumference and pain were not significantly different, but lymphatic venous anastomosis reduced thigh area hardness, proximal medial and distal and lateral proximal. Four patients experienced contact dermatitis with non-operative decongestive therapy alone. Conclusion Lymphatic venous anastomosis in combination with non-operative decongestive therapy prevents cellulitis. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. The Impact of Urgency of Repair on Outcomes Following Thoracic Endovascular Aortic Repair for Blunt Thoracic Aortic Injury Objective Current societal recommendations regarding the timing of thoracic endovascular aortic repair to bar for blunt thoracic aortic injury, BTAI, vary. Prior studies have shown that elective repair was associated with lower mortality after TVAR for PTE. However, these studies lack data such as Society for Vascular Surgery, SVS, aortic injury grades, and TVAR related postoperative outcomes. Therefore, 
We use the Vascular Quality Initiative Registry, which includes relevant anatomic and outcome data, to examine the outcomes following urgent-slash-emergent, less than or equal to 24 hours, versus elective tvar for pay. Methods Patients undergoing tvar for pay between 2013 and 2022 were included, excluding those with SVS grade 4 aortic injuries. Results Of 1,016 patients, 102 10%, underwent elective tvar. Patients who underwent elective repair were more likely to undergo revascularization of the left subclavian artery, 31% versus 7.5%, P less than 0.001, and receive intraoperative heparin, 94% versus 82%, P equals 0.002. After inverse probability weighting, there was no association between DVAR timing and perioperative mortality, elective versus urgent slash emergent, 3.9% versus 6.6%, odds ratio or 1.1, 95% confidence interval, C, 0.27 to 4.7, P equals 0.90, and 5-year mortality, 5.8% versus 12%, hazard ratio, HR, 0.95, 95% C, 0.21 to 4.3, P greater than 0.9. Compared with urgent slash emergent TVAR, Elective repair was associated with lower postoperative stroke, 1.0% versus 2.1%, adjusted or, AOR, 0.12, 95% C, 0.02 to 0.94, P equals 0.044, even after adjusting for intraoperative heparin use, AOR, 0.12, 95% C, 0.02 to 0.92, P equals 0.042. Elective tvar was also associated with lower odds of failure of extubation immediately after surgery, 39% versus 65%, AOR, 0.18, 95% C, 0.09 to 0.35, P less than 0.001, and postoperative pneumonia, 4.9% versus 11%, AOR, 0.34, 95% C, 0.13 to 0.91. P equals 0.031, but comparable odds of any postoperative complication as a composite outcome and reintervention during index admission. Conclusions Patients with PEI who underwent elective DVAR were more likely to receive intraoperative heparin. Perioperative mortality and five-year mortality rates were similar between the elective and emergent-slash-urgent DVAR groups. Postoperatively, elective DVAR was associated with lower ischemic stroke, pulmonary complications, and prolonged hospitalization. Future modifications in society guidelines should incorporate the current evidence supporting the use of elective TVAR for pay. The optimal timing of TVAR in patients with pay and the factors determining it should be the subject of future study to facilitate personalized decision-making. Surveillance duplex ultrasound prompted interventions after carotid endarterectomy. Objective Current societal guidelines recommend duplex ultrasound, DUS, surveillance beyond 30 days after carotid endarterectomy, CEA, for patients with risk factors for restenosis or who underwent primary closure. However, the appropriate duration of this surveillance has not yet been identified, and the rate at which dust surveillance prompts intervention is unknown. Multiple calls for decreasing healthcare spending that does not provide value, including unnecessary testing, have been made. 
The purpose of this study was to examine the rate of intervention prompted by surveillance dust on the ipsilateral or contralateral carotid artery after CEA and determine the value of continued surveillance by determining the rate of dust prompted intervention. Results A total 767 patients, accounting for 771 procedures, were included in this study, which resulted in 2,145 ultrasound scans. A total of 40, 5.2%, patients required 44 subsequent interventions that were prompted by dust surveillance scans. The average number of ultrasound scans per patient was 2.8, range, 0 to 14, and the average duration of surveillance was 26.4 months, range, 0 to 155 months. Of the 767 patients, 669, 87.2%, had a unilateral CEA. A total of 62 of 767, 8.1%, patients had planned endarterectomies on the contralateral side based on initial imaging, not prompted by interval dust surveillance scans. Of 767 patients, 28, 3.7%, patients who underwent CEA had a subsequent procedure for progression of contralateral disease, which was prompted by duplex surveillance scans. The average duration between index CEA and intervention on contralateral carotid was 29.57 months, range, 3 to 81 months. A total of 11 patients, accounting for 12 procedures, underwent a subsequent procedure for restenosis of their ipsilateral carotid, prompted by duplex surveillance scans. The average duration between index CEA and reintervention on the ipsilateral carotid was 17.9 months, range, 4 to 70 months. 3 of 767, 0.4%, patients in total were identified as having a perioperative stroke. Conclusions The overall rate of ipsilateral reintervention after CEA is low. A small percentage of patients will progress their contralateral disease, ultimately requiring surgical intervention. These data suggest that regular duplex surveillance after CEA is warranted for patients with at least moderate contralateral disease. However, the yield is low for ipsilateral restenosis after 36 months based on this single institution study. Further study is needed to better delineate which patients need follow-up to decrease unnecessary testing while still targeting patients most at risk of restenosis or contralateral progression of disease. Risk factors and consequences of wound complications following sartorius flap reconstruction. Objective. Groin wound complications are common following vascular surgery and can lead to significant patient morbidity. Sartorius muscle flap coverage may help to prevent vascular graft infection in the setting of wound dehiscence or infection. However, risk factors and consequences of wound complications following sartorius flap reconstruction remain incompletely investigated. Methods. We retrospectively queried all patients who underwent sartorius flap reconstruction at a tertiary academic medical center. Data collected included patient demographics, medical comorbidities, surgical indication, index vascular procedure, and postoperative outcomes. The primary outcome was wound complication following sartorius flap procedure, which was defined as groin wound infection, dehiscence, or lymphocutaneous fistula. Results from 2012 to 2022, a total of 113 patients underwent sartorius flap reconstruction. Of these, 66, 58.4%, were performed after the development of a prior groin complication, and 47, 41.6%, were prophylactic.
a total of 88 patients, 77.9%, had a prosthetic bypass graft adjacent to the flap. 29 patients, 25.7%, suffered a wound complication following sartorius flap reconstruction, including 14, 12.4%, with wound dehiscence, 13, 11.5%, with wound infection, and 2, 1.8%, with lymphocutaneous fistula. Patients with wound complications had a higher body mass index, 28.8 versus 26.4 kg M2, P equals .03, and more frequently active smokers, 86.2% versus 66.7%, P equals .04. Additionally, patients with wound complications had a higher unplanned 30-day hospital readmission rates, 72.4% versus 15.5%, P less than .001. Reintervention rates, 75.9% versus 8.3%, P less than 0.001, and redo flap reconstruction rates, 13.8% versus 2.4%, P equals 0.02. On multivariable analysis, higher body mass index was independently associated with post-flap wound complications, adjusted odds ratio, AOR, 1.01, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.001 to 1.03, P equals 0.037. Consequently, wound complications were associated with both surgical reintervention, AOR, 35.4, 95% C, 9.9 to 126.3, P less than 0.001, and unplanned hospital readmission, AOR, 17.8, 95% C, 5.9 to 54.1, P less than 0.001. Conclusions. Sartorius flap reconstruction is an effective adjunct in facilitating wound healing of groin wounds. However, wound complications are common following sartorius flap reconstruction and may be associated with reintervention and unplanned hospital readmission. These data support the judicious and thoughtful utilization of sartorius flap procedures among high-risk patients. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. Lumen apposing metal stents versus traditional self-expanding metal stents for endoscopic ultrasound-guided drainage of pancreatic fluid collections, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Background Endoscopic drainage has become the preferred treatment for pancreatic fluid collections, PFCs. There is still a lack of reliable evidence to prove which metal stent is the best choice for endoscopic ultrasound, EUS guided drainage of PFCs. In this study, we aim to evaluate the efficacy and safety of lumen apposing metal stents, LAMS, compared to traditional self-expanding metal stents, SEMS, in meta-analysis. Methods. We systematically searched PubMed, InBase, Web of Science, and Cochrane Library up to July 15, 2023. Relevant publications that compared LAMs with traditional SEMs for drainage of patients' PFCs under use guidance were included. This meta-analysis assessed endpoints using Review Manager 5.3 and Stata 14.0 statistical software. Result. Nine citations comprising 707 patients with PFCs were included. The clinical success rate of LAMs tended to be higher than that of SEMs, RR equals 1.07, 95% C, 1.00, 1.15, P equals 0.05. LAMS had a lower technical success rate, RR equals 0.97, 95% C, 
0.99, P equals 0.02, and faster procedure time, minutes, MD equals minus 24.29, 95% C, minus 25.59, minus 22.99, P less than 0.00001, compared to SEMS. In addition, LAMS had fewer overall adverse events, RR equals 0.64, 95% C, 0.48, 0.87, P equals 0.004. For specific adverse events, LAMS had fewer migration, RR equals 0.37, 95% C, 0.19, 0.72, P equals 0.003. Occlusion, RR equals 0.43, 95% C, 0.22, 0.82, P equals 0.01. And infection, RR equals 0.38, 95% C, 0.20, 0.70, P equals 0.002. There was no significant difference in bleeding and perforation between the two stents. For hospital stay, days, LAMS group was similar to SEMS group, MD equals minus 3.34, 95% C, minus 7.71, minus 1.03, P equals 0.13. Regarding recurrence, LAMS group was fewer than SEMS group, RR equals 0.41, 95% C, 0.21, 0.78, P equals 0.007. Conclusion Compared to traditional SEMS, LAMS has a higher clinical success rate, faster procedure time, fewer adverse events, similar hospital stay and lower recurrence rate in use guided drainage of PFCs. LAMS is a good choice with a high technical success rate over 95%, and using a shorter length or one-step operation can further improve it. Richer placement experience is required for LAMS placement under use guidance. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. The Effectiveness of Screening Total Colonoscopy for Preoperative Patients with Gastric Cancer Background Colorectal cancer, CRC, is the most common cancer that coincides with gastric cancer, GC. Although the usefulness of total colonoscopy, TCS, as a CRC screening tool has been reported in preoperative patients with GC, the long-term outcome of patients with synchronous CRC, SCRC, remains unclear. This study aims to clarify the significance of preoperative screening TCS for GC in terms of survival outcomes. Patients and Methods we included 796 patients who underwent preoperative screening TCS for GC. The risk factors, clinical pathological features, and survival outcome of SCRC were examined. Furthermore, the cost-effectiveness was evaluated from the perspective of improving the rates of mortality caused by CRC. Results SCRC was observed in 43 patients, 5.4%. Endoscopic treatment for SCRC was performed on 30 patients. In total, 15 patients underwent surgical resection, including two patients requiring additional surgery after endoscopic treatment. Regarding pathological stages, 25 patients had stage 0, 12 patients had stage I, 5 patients had stage 2, and 1 patient had stage 5 disease. The cumulative mortality rates were as follows, GC-related deaths, 12.6%, Deaths from cancers other than CRC, 1%, deaths from other causes, 5.5%. No deaths were attributed to SCRC. 
Comparing the patients who did not undergo TCS, an incremental cost-effectiveness ratio analysis suggested that a screening cost of 5.86 million yen was required to prevent one CRC death. Conclusions Curative treatment was possible in all patients with SCRC. No deaths were attributed to SCRC, suggesting that screening TCS for GC is effective. Next article is from Obesity Surgery. Implementation of Artificial Intelligence-Based Computer Vision Model for Sleeve Gastrectomy, Experience in One Tertiary Center. Introduction Sleeve Gastrectomy, SG, is the most common metabolic and bariatric procedure performed. Leveraging Artificial Intelligence, AI, for automated real-time data structuring and annotations of surgical videos has immense potential of clinical applications. This study presents initial real-world implementation of AI-based computer vision model in sleeve gastrectomy, SG, and external validation of accuracy of safety milestone annotations. Methods A retrospective single-center study of 49 consecutive SG videos was captured and analyzed by the AI platform, December 2020, August 2023. A bariatric surgeon viewed all videos and assessed safety milestones adherence, compared to the AI annotations. Patients' data were retrieved from the bariatric unit registry. Results SG total duration was 47.5 minutes, interquartile range 36 to 64. Main steps included preparation, 12.2%, dissection of the greater curvature, 30.8%, gastric transection, 28.5%, specimen extraction, 7.2%, and final inspection, 14.4%. Out-of-body time comprised 6.9% of the total video. Safety milestones components and AI surgeon agreements included the following, bougie insertion, 100%, distance from pylorus greater than or equal to 2 cm, 100%, parallel to lesser curvature, 98%, fundus mobilization, 100%, and distance from esophagus greater than or equal to 1 cm, true, 100%, false, 13.6%, kappa coefficient 0.2, p equals 0.006. Intraoperative complications included notable hemorrhage, n equals 4, and parenchymal injury, n equals 1. Conclusions The AI model provides a fully automated SG video analysis. Outcomes suggest its accuracy in 4 or 5 safety milestone annotations. This data is valuable, as it reflects objective performance measures which can help us improve the surgical quality and efficiency of SG. Larger cohorts will enable SG standardization and clinical correlations with outcomes, aiming to improve patient safety. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons Short Stay Left Colectomy for Colon Cancer, Is It Safe? Background Advances in surgical practices have decreased hospital length of stay, LOS, after surgery. This study aimed to determine the safety of short stay, less than or equal to 24-hour, left colectomy for colon cancer patients in the U.S. Study Design Adult colon cancer patients who underwent elective left colectomies were identified using the American College of Surgeons and SCIP database, 2012-2021. Patients were categorized into four loss groups loss one day or less, less than or equal to 24-hour short stay, 2 to 4, 5 to 6, and 7 or more. 
Primary outcomes were 30-day postoperative overall and serious morbidity. Secondary outcomes were 30-day mortality and readmission. Multivariable logistic regression was performed to explore the association between loss and overall and serious morbidity. Results A total of 15,745 patients who underwent left colectomies for colon cancer were identified with 294, 1.87%, patients undergoing short stay. Short-stay patients were generally younger and healthier with lower 30-day overall morbidity rates, loss less than or equal to 1 day, 3.74%, 2 to 4, 7.38%, 5 to 6, 16.12%, and greater than or equal to 7, 37.64%, p less than 0.001. Compared with patients with loss 2 to 4 days, no differences in mortality and readmission rates were observed. On adjusted analysis, there was no statistical difference in the odds of overall, loss 2 to 4 days, odds ratio 1.90, 95% C1.01 to 3.60, P equals 0.049, and serious morbidity, loss 2 to 4 days, odds ratio 0.86, 95% C1.42 to 1.76, P equals 0.672, between the short stay and loss 2 to 4 days groups. Conclusions Although currently performed at low rates in the U.S., short-stay left colectomy is safe for a select group of patients. Attention to patient selection, refinement of clinical pathways, and close follow-up may enable short-stay colectomies to become a more feasible reality. Racial disparity among youth decedents of legal intervention trauma Background Legal intervention trauma LIT, is defined as injury due to any encounter with law enforcement. This study investigates associations between demographics, violence status, and law enforcement tactics among youth decedents of LIT. Study design. Decedents of LIT age 26 years or younger were identified using the CDC's National Violent Death Reporting System from 2003 to 2018. Decedents were classified as violent if they possessed a weapon, were committing a violent crime, or if law enforcement reported justified use of force. All others were classified as nonviolent. Law enforcement tactics were stratified into lethal, firearm with standard ammunition, or less lethal, any other, force. Differences in the racial distribution across these classifications were assessed using chi-square tests of proportions. Results We identified 1,281 youth decedents of lit, of which, 92.5% met violent criteria. Black youths were less likely than white youths to possess a weapon, 71.6% versus 77.4%, p equals 0.02, and were not more likely to be committing a violent crime, 63.6% versus 60.4%, p equals 0.27. They were, however, more likely than white youths to experience force reported as justified by law enforcement, 89.9% versus 82.4%, p equals 0.002, and to experience exclusively lethal force not preceded by less lethal tactics, 94.0% versus 88.7%, p equals 0.001. Among the subset of 85 cases where law enforcement reported justified use of force despite the decedent not possessing a weapon or committing a violent crime, The precipitating event was more often a traffic stop for black youths than for white youths, 28.5% versus 6.66%, 
p equals 0.02. Conclusions These findings indicate a racial disparity among youth decedents of lit. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Persistent long-term opioid use after trauma, incidents and risk factors. Background The opioid epidemic in the United States continues to lead to a substantial number of preventable deaths and disability. The development of opioid dependence has been strongly linked to previous opioid exposure. Trauma patients are at particular risk since opioids are frequently required to control pain after injury. The purpose to this study was to examine the prevalence of opioid use before and after injury and to identify risk factors for persistent long-term opioid use after trauma. Methods Records for all patients admitted to a level 1 trauma center over a one-year period were analyzed. Demographics, injury characteristics, and hospital course were recorded. A multi-state prescription drug monitoring program database was queried to obtain records of all controlled substances prescribed from 6 months before the date of injury to 12 months after hospital discharge. Patients still receiving narcotics at one year were defined as persistent long-term users and were compared against those who were not. Results A total of 2,992 patients were analyzed. Of all patients, 20.4% had filled a narcotic prescription within the six months before injury, 53.5% received opioids at hospital discharge, and 12.5% had persistent long-term use after trauma with the majority demonstrating pre-injury use. Univariate risk factors for long-term use included female sex, longer length of stay, higher injury severity score, anxiety, depression, orthopedic surgeries, spine injuries, multiple surgical locations, discharge to acute inpatient rehab, and pre-injury opioid use. On multivariate analysis, the only significant predictors of persistent long-term prescription opioid use were pre-injury use and a much smaller effect associated with use at discharge. Conclusion During a sustained opioid epidemic, concerns and caution are warranted in the use of prescription narcotics for trauma patients. However, persistent long-term opioid use among opioid-naive patients is rare and difficult to predict after trauma. Thank you for listening to This Week in Surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.